We are in the Gospel of Mark, but before we get there, I want to share some uh, classic church bloopers that they have put out out on the signs uh, or in their bulletins. The first one is, remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. Okay, that was funny. Uh, I got a courtesy laugh out of my wife, so okay, let me read it again. Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. They, they had a typo somewhere in there. How about this one? Thursday there will be a meeting of the Little Mothers Club, all wishing to become little mothers. Please see the minister in his study. <laughs> How about this one? At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. Okay, this is the last one. I know these are real, so I I actually have it cut out from Ann Landers, okay, so you know it's real. Um, The last one is this. The scouts are saving aluminum cans, bottles, and other items to be recycled. um, Proceeds will be used to cripple children. (laughs) I know, that was bad. That was really bad, so... Hey, although churches are well-meaning, sometimes we uh, don't get our message across correctly. And sometimes we actually complicate the simple spiritual truths that we find in the Word of God. And so we're going we're to talk about some simple truths today that come out of our passage, Mark chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to ask Heather to throw up a picture of Capernaum. Uh, now, this is Capernaum. This is where our narrative takes place. So Jesus is going to be preaching by the lakeside, and we're going to be introduced to Matthew, sometimes called Levi, and he is a tax collector. And you're going to learn more about tax collectors today than you ever wanted to. But this is the same place that the demon was tossed out in the synagogue. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. This is the same place from last week where the paralyzed man was let down through the roof. And this is the same place that Peter lives and his mother-in-law was sick and they, uh, Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Uh, this is the headquarters, if you want to say, of Jesus's ministry during his time in Galilee. And so let's go to Mark chapter 2. It's just a few verses. We're going to pick it up at verse 13, and it says this. He, that is Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And guess what he was doing? As he normally does, he was teaching them. Verse 14, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in Matthew, or Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard them mumbling, because that's what the word actually means when they were mumbling, he says, why uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
So here's the scenario. Jesus is teaching by the sea. Now, a lot of times he would get out on a boat, row out just a little way, and it became a natural amphitheater. And I don't know if you've ever been on a lake and you can hear your voice travel almost a mile. I mean, it's amazing how your sound can travel over water. It almost amplifies it. So even though Levi or Matthew hasn't been hanging out with Jesus, his toll booth is right where it needs to be to collect the most money. Now, where would you go in this town to collect the most money? What street would you go on? What is the busiest street in our town? What's that? Main Street? Uh, Loman? Telshore, right? I mean, is that not the heart of the busiest part of town? That's where Matthew's going to set up his tax booth because he gets to be taxing everything. Now, he's a tax collector, so he works for the Roman Empire. So that's already a bad idea if you're a Jew and you're working for the enemy, the one that is oppressing your nation. You are working for the enemy. And the way the Romans did their tax collection, they were actually kind of smart. They would get, let's, let's pick on Lawrence. Lawrence, you wanted to be a tax collector. So Rome came and said, okay, Lawrence, you have to tax Las Cruces. We want $5 million from you. If you collect less than $5 million, it's coming out of your pocket. If you collect more than $5 million, you can keep anything else. Pretty good deal, huh? The Romans are going to get their money, whether it comes from you or from everybody else, but they're going to get their money. Now, you're put in a position of power. He can, uh, I just went through uh, security at an airport, and, you know, they, they, they x-ray everything, and they have the right to go through your luggage. Matthew had the right to open up your letters. He had the right to look in your cart he had the right to investigate what you were carrying by his little tax booth, and he got to tax you on it. Now, remember, this is Peter's hometown. And every time Peter caught a fish and took it to market, guess who got a piece of the pie? Matthew did. So you think Peter's really anxious and happy that Matthew is now going to be one of the team? I don't know what he was thinking. But the Jews hated this oppressive, unfair, subjective tax system. There was a pole tax, there was a bridge tax, there was a fish tax, there was an oil tax, there was a bread tax. There was a fruit tax, there was a road tax, there was a harbor. You put your boat in the harbor and you catch a fish there, you've got to pay a tax. The tax collectors were unscrupulous. In fact, the Hebrew word for uh, tax collector in its very root means injustice, oppressed. So they have the legal right to get into your stuff. Now, they had to pay a price for it, and here's the price. They were ostracized from the rest of society. You didn't get to go to church anymore. You didn't get to go to synagogue anymore. In fact, your money was considered tainted. So when you went to the marketplace, they didn't have Walmart. You know, they had all these little mom-and-pop shops. When he went to those mom-and-pop shops to buy some fruit, guess what? They said, we don't want your money. It's tainted. So tax collectors hung out with other tax collectors. And on a socioeconomic scale, they were rich, but on a social scale, they were called or the dregs of society. Um, they would uh, accept bribes from rich people and then tax poor people extra. Um, so, now, do we have any reputations today of industries that are somewhat a little sketchy? If you're a stripper, 
Is that a little sketchy occupation? Is that a little frowned on? <laughs> I would think so. Uh, how about payday loan places that charge, I don't know, 20, 30, 40%? I don't even know what the legal limit is, but they, they take advantage of people that are in, in a bad situation, right? Um, credit card companies? Uh, Stephanie was driving my oldest daughter. She was in the middle uh, of like Kentucky and her car broke down and I called a guy. I got things scheduled where a tow truck came, picked her up, took her to a, a yard and to a gas station and they charged her $200 for a, for a battery. Yeah, mechanics sometimes have a bad reputation. How about tattoo parlors? Do they have a bad reputation? Landlords are sketchy. That's true. Bartenders, drug dealers. I mean, we can think of occupations that we would relate to how Matthew was felt like. He is in an occupation that people just despise. Bottom of the rung. But Jesus has this incredible tendency to seek out the sinners. Um, in fact, in, in Luke... The lost chapter. Do you know there's a lost chapter of the Bible? I've got all your interest. It's chapter 15 of Luke. You'll get there and you'll see that Jesus tells three parables about lost things. That's why. See, I got you. But in that chapter, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that was lost. So let's go back to the text for just a second. He went out beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And then Matthew does this incredible thing. He must have been eavesdropping. He's a guy that his business is to be in the know of other people's business. If you're making money, he's going to know about it so he can tax you. He knows who this Jesus is. He has been hearing him preach. And Jesus comes along and casts his glaze at him and says, follow me. And that's the really first fill in the blank. So we can throw that up. Jesus says to follow me. Now it's kind of interesting, this word follow in the Greek language. It means union on a road. That's what it actually means. It means that you walk along a road with someone. To follow someone is, is not a destination, but it's a journey. He is saying, come on the road with me. Um, used 77 times in the New Testament and always refers to Jesus and following him. So even though he's an outcast of society, He is asking him to be a disciple because he's a rabbi. Remember, Jesus is a rabbi, and it is a special honor and privilege to be asked to follow because the the rabbi got to pick and choose who who got to be in the inner circle. Think about that. He is saying, I want you to be on the inner circle. That's what Jesus is asking him. And uh, another Greek word that's interesting is that what he does... Now, I'm going to go over to Luke that records the same narrative, but I'll read it, and there's an important aspect of it. He follow, And he said to him, follow me, and then verse 28 of Luke says, and he left everything. He left everything and followed him. 
He abandoned his old way of life. And if you gave up this lucrative job, Lawrence, if you said, hey, I'm done, Rome, guess what? You weren't going to get your job back. And you had no backup plan because if if this deal with Jesus falls through, you're, you're, you're messed over. You've got no other options. He is leaving everything. No fallback plan. Now, the next thing that happens, though, is the next fill in the blank. Levi shared Jesus with his friends. Luke says there was a mega crowd, a great crowd. And he had a feast. And he's throwing a reception for Jesus and his new life now with Jesus. And Mark uses a word that means it's a common crowd. So Levi invites all of his peers, his friends, his social equals, and his colleagues. And then the mumbling and the uh, the complaining starts. And here's the next fill in the blank. The self-righteous, they don't get it. The word means to mutter or murmur or grumble or say anything in a low tone. They're actually not even talking to Jesus. They're talking to the disciples, whining and complaining about what Jesus is doing. And there's a courtyard. Now, this is interesting. This house is is built in such a way, or the typical house, I should say this. And because Matthew was rich, it was probably this elaborate courthouse or a courtyard. And it's the Pharisees who are crashing the party. See, Matthew invited the prostitutes, the strippers, the drug dealers, the tax collectors, the outcast of society, all the people that were nobodies, he invited them to a party. And it was the Pharisees who crashed the party. Now, they probably were wanting not to hear what Jesus was going to do, but to, to check up on him. In fact, um, let's throw the next slide up there, Heather. And that is this. This is self-righteous math. Jesus associates with sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And Jesus welcomes sinners. Therefore, the conclusion for a Pharisee is what? Jesus must be a sinner. How many of you share your toothbrush with your spouse? Anyone here? That's kind of a weird question, huh? We don't, right? Why? Gross. We don't want to share germs, right? In the ancient culture... When you ate with someone, there was double dipping probably going on. You, out, you ate out of the same bowl. Sometimes you drank out of the same cup. So if you were to eat with somebody, you were really saying, I accept you. Um, it was a sign of intimacy to be invited over to somebody's house And to lounge because they didn't sit on stools. They kind of lounged on pillows with their head resting on the table. And they would dip in the same bowl. Now I don't know if there was double dipping going on. But you could understand the intimacy of it. And Matthew invites his friends and the self-righteous. They just don't get it. Do do you remember Jesus tells a parable about the the, the Pharisee, the self-righteous guy that goes to the temple, and he says, Oh, Lord, I've done awesome this week. I walked an old lady across the, the, the street for free, 
and I gave all that I was supposed to give, and I didn't, you know, do anything bad, and I'm an awesome person, God, now hear my prayers. I'm paraphrasing this. And then there was a tax collector in the Jesus' parable out of Luke 18 who would not even look into heaven but kept his eyes down. And he said, God, I'm a sinner. I need you, though. I want you. Please be kind to me. And it, the Scripture says that the man who was humble, the tax collector, went home right in the eyes of God, and the one who was self-righteous did not go home right in the sight of God. And these guys that are murmuring about Jesus eating, actually eating with these tax collectors, how dare he? And then Jesus says this. He can hear what they're talking about, and when he heard it, verse 17 says, those who are well have no need of a doctor. But those who are sick need a doctor. And I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. I came to hang out with the sinners. And so the last fill in the blank is this. Jesus came for us. You've been taught before that the word sin is an archery term. It means to take the arrow, to put it on the bow, to pull it back, and let's say I'm going to aim at that poster, that guy's nose, and I let it go, and that arrow flies. And to sin meant you missed the mark. It means you don't come up to standard. It means you're subpar. If you want to take it far enough, you are rejected because you don't measure up. And Jesus came to save us who don't measure up, that can never measure up. He came to us who are rejected, who are defective, and Jesus has come to help restore us, heal us to wholeness. Now, there are four nuggets of truth that are not on your outline, but they're going to correspond to each thing that we've already talked about. The first nugget of spiritual truth, because we want to make sure we get this right and keep things simple, he says, follow me, and that's really grace. Jesus makes the first move. He wants a relationship with us. The God of the universe wants fellowship with you. And grace is getting something we don't deserve. We don't deserve a new life with Christ. That's why it's called grace. Uh, this guy named G.W. Knight wrote these words. And, and I'll kind of speak them slowly so you'll, you'll follow along. But he says, When a person works an eight-hour day and receives his paycheck, that's called a wage. When a person competes with an opponent, like Brock, and receives a trophy or a medal, that is a prize. He won a prize. When a person receives appropriate rec recognition for his long service, it's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, winning a prize, or deserving award, yet still gets a gift... That's a good picture of God's unmerited favor called grace. 
So we don't deserve everlasting life. We don't deserve that intimacy. We don't deserve communion with him. And it's God that says, I want to give it to you anyways. Now, the second nugget is this. Levi shared Jesus with his friends. That's really love. It's kind of kind of cool that the word evangelism has the word angel in the middle of it you ever realize that evangelism has the word angel in it and an angel just means one that is sent as a messenger and when you tell others about God's great love you're being an angel you're being an angel because a messenger that brings good news is an evangelist if you want to say it that way Touched by an angel, if you want to say that way. You're being an angel when you share love with people. Now, the self-righteous, they don't get it. Because they're all about selfishness. I don't even know what to say about self-righteousness. We've talked enough about it. It's when you think that you have to tear other people down to build yourself up. It's when you judge other people because you think that God grades on a curve, a bell curve. Self-righteousness is really all about you. It's all about thinking that you have the right to stand before God because you're so good. And these guys had life easy. And therefore, they thought they had God's favor. And as a result of that, They thought that they were right with God when really they were just selfish inside. They were the first one to condemn people. The woman that was caught in adultery, who brought the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery before Jesus so that he would throw the first stone? It was the self-righteous. They just don't get it. And we have to just, we talked about this last week and so I don't want to overemphasize it. But the self-righteous are fault finders because they're in competition with everyone. And they have to find your fault so that they feel better about themselves inside. And instead of being a grace giver, they're fault finders. They criticize, they judge. uh, But they all do it in a nice, polite way, don't they? (laughs) My grandma used to tell my sisters, Oh, you're looking pleasingly plump. What a backhanded insult, huh? (laughs) You know, fault finders. The world is full of fault finders, and sometimes the church is full of fault finders too. And Jesus has no tolerance. He brought grace to the humble, but he brought the law to the proud and the self-righteous. Now, the the fourth thing is this. Jesus came for us, and that's mercy. Grace is getting something you don't deserve, but mercy is not getting what you've earned. And Romans tells us that God shows us his love for us, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. We should be the one paying for our sin, but we're not getting what we actually deserve. Now, the last slide is this. And this is where it's going to get where the rubber meets the road. Believing in Jesus is one thing. But the next level of commitment is actually believing Jesus. 
I know they sound very similar, but, but believing in Jesus is about what He has done for you. His work on the cross, that He's the Son of God, that He has raised from the dead, that we have a new life in Him. All of those things are believing in Jesus, but believing Jesus is the next level. When Jesus says and teaches about not to worry, do you believe it? The whole Sermon on the Mount is what Jesus believes, but do we actually live that way? Uh, when, do you believe Jesus when he talks about unforgiveness towards a brother? Do you actually believe Jesus about what he says about homosexuality? Do you actually believe Jesus when he, when he talks about lusting? Do you actually believe him when he talks about finances? Do you actually believe him uh, about self-righteousness or where you're putting your treasure on earth? Do you actually believe him? Believing in him is in his work, but believing him is actually accepting and following what he believes. Do you believe that faith moves mountains? Do you believe in prayer the way Jesus believes in prayer? Do you, do you believe that we're not supposed to whine? Did you see the cartoon this morning? Following Christ is a lifelong decision, and it's also a decision we make each and every day. Who's going to be on the throne of your heart tomorrow, Michael, when you walk into your eighth grade class? Is it Jesus or is it Michael? Or is it your family? Because that's an acceptable idol today. We're going we're gonna to go crazy worshiping family and forget Jesus in the midst of it too. We could do it in, in the name of, of good works or, or good thoughts or whatever. I'm going to show you a video of a young lady that you all know who has decided to really follow Jesus. Believing in Him, taking it to the level of, now I believe Him. And, uh, well, you'll see who it is. We don't have a real pool, but we have a kiddie pool. It's about two feet high. And Ileana is going to sit down, and uh, we're going to bury her into Christ and unite her with Christ. That's what Romans says. Romans, I'll just read it to you. Uh, it says this. Um, okay, if we get this thing called grace, then can we continue to just sin any way we want to? And, he, and Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized or buried into Christ Jesus were buried into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so you're all invited to our house to see Ileana. And I, I hope you caught her testimony. I had to edit because it, it was originally eight minutes and I just kind of kept bringing it down. But when she was young, she responded to the gospel message, but... She knew who Jesus was, but she didn't really make him Lord of her life. And her brother was getting baptized, and people were putting pressure on her to get baptized. And it wasn't her decision. Now it is her decision. And, and that doesn't discount all the years that she's walked with Jesus, 
But now she has come by reading Scripture that, wait, this is something I want to do, and I see it as the gift that God is giving me, that I am being united with Christ uh, in, in the same way that he died and went into a grave and came up. That's the way Scripture talks about it, and that's what I want. And so it is really about our message today, following Christ, because that's what he told Matthew. He looked at him and said, abandon your old way of living. Abandon your old lifestyle. Abandon it all and come. Walk the road. Remember what the word means. Walk the road with me.